Kia ora koutou, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to Insight. Mycoplasma bovis is now this country's most expensive biosecurity breach. The cost of eradicating it has been put at more than three quarters of a billion dollars, made up mostly of the cost of compensating farmers for the 150,000 cattle that it will have to cull. Getting rid of it completely could take a decade, but is eradicating M. bovis even possible? Conan Young has been speaking to farmers about what this disease is doing to the way they live and farm. It's been close to 12 months since Mycoplasma bovis was first identified in South Canterbury and still it's unclear how it even got into the country. Every week new regions stretching from Southland to Waikato are found to have infected farms leading some to cast doubt on the theory espoused by the Ministry for Primary Industries or MPI that the disease can be traced back to one farm in Southland. MPI itself says it can't discount the possibility that an infected vaccine or batch of bull semen being used by a large number of farms is not to blame for its spread. So has the government bitten off more than it can chew when it comes to eradicating Mycoplasma bovis? We have one animal of interest on one herd, 11 on another, and we can't get them killed. And it pisses me off. What is going on? Anybody attending the meetings MPI is holding across the country aimed at reassuring farmers it has everything in hand would be struck straight away by the level of stress Mbovis is causing. The prospect of having to cull a herd of cows they've spent a lifetime crossbreeding in order to boost milk production or produce a better class of steak is something that leaves many wondering if they want to continue farming at all. Pretty big fall from grace really if we're honest from managing and owning three and a half thousand calf rearing operation to cleaning houses, living with my partner and any job I can get. For some, M. Bovis has already robbed them of their future and their sense of self-worth. But who's to blame for the introduction and spread of M. Bovis and the trail of destruction it's already left behind? To understand the magnitude of this problem, I flew south from my base in Christchurch to Dunedin and then took an hour's drive north to Palmerston to the home of Susan McEwen. Her case demonstrates how easily M. Bovis can spread and how big the job of eradicating it could be. Of the 3,000 calves she had a contract to raise in 2016, 600 had to be destroyed after falling ill with pneumonia or arthritis twice the death rate she'd expect in an ordinary season. She estimates she lost about $100,000 that year. The following year, her marriage broke up, in part, she says, due to the stress caused by having to deal with so many sick calves. Susan McEwen considered buying out her husband's share of the farm, but by then she'd started doubting her abilities and wasn't sure if she was up to raising calves anymore. She was kept on as the farm manager by the new owners, but two months ago she was let go and is now making ends meet by taking cleaning jobs around Palmerston. So it starts, starts here on the left. Yeah. Three sheds hold 200 calves each. She takes me to have a look at the farm she poured her heart and soul into for five years. Really cool home. Loved living here. Quiet. So you can see Pukatapu. 
pretty crazy. surreal being back here actually. I um, really struggled to leave here. I bred um, competition ponies for 25 years and I put my stallion to sleep here a month before they told me they didn't need me. Why so many of her calves were falling sick or failing to put on weight back in 2016 was a mystery she just could not crack. Nothing her honours degree in agriculture, her masters in animal health or her lifetime of experience working with calves had prepared her for the challenges she faced with the animals that were being delivered to her farm that year. Some calves would be dead the next day off these Southland trucks, like that was that was noticeable and I question that. Because I'm I was tubing calves, stomach feeding calves up to four times a day. So if I'm not happy with a calf, I put a Velcro collar around its neck and then I keep tubing it. And with all the calves I've reared, generally they live. You know, death rates should be sort of seven, eight percent in my size operation. Um, the year in question, which is 2016, they would have been at least double that. We had calves that, drugs that always worked just didn't work. I saw septic joint ill, I saw pneumonia, I just saw things that didn't add up. As well as not getting any money for the calves which died that year, Susan McEwen was burdened with the extra cost of having to tend to so many sick animals, which she puts at $250 per sick calf. I generally start at 4.30 every morning and I generally do my last feeding at 10 o'clock at night. And I'm only feeding those sick calves at night, but when you've got... 100 calves to stomach feed, it takes a long time. So as much as there's a big financial loss on a dead calf, when you've got the passion that I have for keeping calves alive, it hurts. She didn't know it at the time, but 250 of the calves she received that year had come off a farm that was subsequently declared to be an infected property. Insights inquiries have confirmed this farm belongs to Alfonsi Stratton. The farm MPI now says had Embovis as early as late 2015. In the property, all cases of the disease have so far been linked back to. It wasn't until a month ago when Susan McEwen saw pictures of calves on RNZ that had come off the Z Stratton farm in late 2017 that the penny dropped. The calves were the spitting image of the ones she'd struggled with in 2016. I instantly got on the phone to my 2IC, who has worked for me for the last five years, and I sent her the video, and it was just like, wow, we've seen all this. But we saw it 12 months earlier. The following day, she got on the phone to MPI to tell them she'd farmed calves from an infected property. She only heard back from MPI five days ago. It's confirmed that calves sent from her property to a central Otago farm in 2016 have tested positive for Mycoplasma bovis and that the Ranfurly farm has been declared to be an infected property. The company that owned the calves, Graze Care, admitted some of those sent to Susan's farm in 2016 had come from the infected farm of Alfonsi Stratton. But it said the ones that left her place that year were all sent to slaughter and none of them were used as service balls. All records from that year have been supplied by Grays Care to MPI. Susan McEwen says the whole experience left her doubting herself and her abilities when it came to rearing calves. I, I know I'm from a good family and a good farming family. And 
this mycoplasma thing, it's, if this is what's affected my calves and my life, it just destroys me. Unlike those found to have infected farms, Susan McEwen is unlikely to receive any compensation from MPI. Her only solace is in the fact she now knows her year from hell in 2016 was not her fault, but that of a disease that continues to bring good farmers to their knees. I'm Conan Young and you're listening to an Insight programme on Mycoplasma bovis and whether the disease can be eradicated. Close to a year on from this disease first being detected in New Zealand, authorities are still no closer to working out how it got into the country. Of the seven possible pathways, only one, the importing of live cattle, which has not happened since 2013, has been discounted. Among the possibilities are other imported animals, frozen semen, embryos, veterinary medicines and biological products, feed or used farm equipment. MPI's Director of Response, Jeff Gwynn, says so far all cases can be linked back to the three Southland farms owned by Alphonse Stratton, just outside of Winton in Southland, where it appeared around late 2015. Through the trading of calves and the waste milk used to feed them, the disease has spread its tentacles to Canterbury, Hawke's Bay, Wairarapa and Waikato. The National Animal Identification and Tracing Scheme, introduced six years ago, was supposed to give authorities instant access to livestock movements and allow them to quickly trace the spread of diseases such as Embovis. But the failure of most farmers to use it resulted in it taking five months of exhaustive interviews before MPI was able to amend its initial finding that the disease had started in South Canterbury in July 2017. Jeff Gwynn says the discovery this disease had started in an entirely different part of the country and that it had been here a lot longer than anybody had assumed changed everything. You tend to resource for the size of the problem and initially the problem looked reasonably contained. Um, the original property was a very closed operation with not a great deal of trace um, animal movements off it which certainly at the start gave us some hope that it was quite big. we would understand it um, spread quite quickly and that it was quite contained. But clearly the um, find in December in this Invercargill uh, area uh, changed all of that and has obviously made the problem a lot bigger than we originally thought. A former professor of agribusiness and agricultural consultant, Keith Woodford, says the early focus on South Canterbury meant infected calves from the Zestraten farm in Southland continued to be traded from one end of the country to the other. I've seen documentation from them where they discounted anything that had happened prior to 2017. Now they've moved back a year to the, the very end of 2015, but they seem to have discounted the possibility that it's been here maybe even more years than that. And there is actually some disquieting evidence that it was here in 2014 and 2015. And if it was here in 2014 and 2015, that greatly complicates the task of eradication. Professor Woodford says the longer Embovis has been here, the further it will have spread and the harder it will be to eradicate. Mycoplasma bovis got a good head start on MPI. The moment we don't know just how big that head start was, but the length of that head start is going to be crucial in terms of whether eradication will actually work.
MPI's Jeff Gwynn says the laborious job of tracing movements of stock and waste milk off the Zeestraten farms to properties around the country has been made more difficult by a lack of cooperation from farmers. After 10 months we've not had one scenario, and many of these names are in the public domain, who've come to us and said, oh, by the way, I got property, I got animals from you know, a property down south. We have even gone out um, down in Invercargill and put uh, advertisements in the newspaper with the farmer's consent, and people are not coming forward and saying, I traded with them. Jeff Gwynn says MPI has had to trace every farmer itself or find them through some form of testing. I think there's an element of um, you know, looking after yourself, and I can understand that, believe me. Getting put under regulatory control is not something you'd wish for. Um, it's challenging, and no matter how hard we work with you around your welfare, you know, your herd is at risk. Um, and I'm not sure everyone um, sees it in the same light about wanting to support um, national interests or the national herd um, as much as the rhetoric might indicate. Keith Woodford says farmers are more afraid of MPI and being declared to be an infected property than they are of M. Bovis itself. Now that's a view in the South Island, it would be different in the North Island. And yes, we would hope that every farmer would be totally open, but there's an awful big incentive if you have a sick calf or a, even a sick cow that looks like mycoplasma, there's an awful big incentive to just destroy that animal. Jeff Gwynn says he can't put a time frame on how long it might take to work out how Embovis arrived here. But he agrees that until the source is discovered, trying to eradicate it could be a frustrating exercise. Technically it doesn't affect your ability to eradicate, but what it does do is it doesn't necessarily mean you can prevent reintroduction. So you could be spending a lot of time and effort, but if you don't understand how it got here, you may not be able to prevent it reoccurring. And in some instances this truly could just be the lotto event where a number of coincidences have lined up and it's a one-off. Jeff Gwynn says he should know within a year whether any charges will be laid over potential breaches of the Biosecurity Act. However, he can't put a time frame around how long it will take to work out how Embovis got into the country. Professor Woodford says part of the reason MPI has struggled to get on top of Embovis is a lack of scientific expertise amongst its managers. This is an issue probably right through the civil service, that there's an idea that uh, ministries can be run by managers, and if you know how to manage, you can manage almost anything. Part of the reason the government opted for eradication is the advice it received from a panel of mostly overseas experts known as the Technical Advisory Group. I reached the group's chair, the vet, Dr Scott McDougall, by phone while he was overseas on a work trip, and he told me they'd come out six to four in favour of it being technically feasible to eradicate Embovis. He says the dissenting opinion was based on the uncertainty surrounding just how many cows could be infected. There's been some concerns about just how thorough uh, the recording of animal movements has been, um, and hence the concern within the tag that if there were a substantially larger number of unknown, unrecorded movements, you know, particularly from farms that are now known to be infected places, that there could be more farms that are infected that we, we just don't know about yet. And you know, if, if that turned into hundreds, then, then the concern would be that the, just logistically the team, the, the MPI operations team, just couldn't keep up with the rate at which, uh, which movements may be occurring. 
Dr McDougall notes that while testing of the national milk supply is a good way to detect levels of Mbovis across the country, when it comes to infected calves, many of these are a number of years away from producing milk and could still be flying under the radar. And that's why, you know, as a tag, we've been very clear that it's going to take several years, in fact, for the full um, extent of the disease spread to be really understood. The Minister of Agriculture and Biosecurity, Damien O'Connor, who was not in government when the outbreak was first identified, says MPI got off to a slow start in trying to get a handle on it. But it wasn't just MPI, I think industry organisations and industry across the board uh, took a bit of a casual approach because it didn't have immediate trade implications. I think the impacts of this were underestimated uh, from day one. Uh, the milk and the meat are perfectly safe to eat. And he agrees on the need for more people with scientific expertise at the top of MPI. Such was the situation that MPI had been put together by, by the previous government, uh, a big organisation with multi-functions and responsibilities. I guess expecting that there was you know, expertise in every area was probably ambitious. If there's an emergency, um, fire, earthquake, they run out of beer. A North Canterbury farmer, Dan Hodgen, taking care of housekeeping ahead of an MPI organised meeting at the Cheviot pub aimed at reassuring farmers they're on top of trying to eradicate Embovis. The scale of the problem faced by MPI becomes apparent quickly as its head of biosecurity, Roger Smith, tells the gathering about the night he was rung and told Embovis had been found in New Zealand. He had to search on Google to find out what sort of disease it was. All of the top brass and experts from the ministry are in attendance and it's clear early on the 200 farmers who have turned up are a tough crowd. We just want MBI to act swiftly. We don't want them hanging around. You've made a call, kill the f***ers. Another farmer took MPI to task over its inability to tell him that his neighbour's farm was being tested for Embovis. Dirk van Rienen said it took five months from the time testing first started to when his neighbour was finally declared to be an infected property. And if he'd known sooner there was a risk of this happening, he would have taken measures much earlier to defend his own herd. It's just um, beggars belief that MPI don't have the power to inform neighbours or farmers of what's going on. And if we ever have a, well, when we have a foot and mouth outbreak, you might as well close the show down because you, you've got no show of controlling it. MPI has been encouraging those with infected properties to make themselves known to their neighbours. Richard Maxwell, the owner of the only infected farm in North Canterbury, did just that at the meeting, standing and addressing his neighbours' concerns directly and insisting he'd been as open as possible about his situation. The last of our bills were uh, slaughtered on last Wednesday last week. Uh, Mr Van Renan needs to get his facts right. He's our neighbour, but we didn't start testing until February. It wasn't how Jane and I wanted to uh, finish our farming life, but we're just trying to work our way through and, um, and do the best we can for our neighbours and the guys that bought our farm. After the meeting, Richard Maxwell told me, as somebody who was born and raised near Cheviot, he had no problem outing himself as the infected property in front of his community and said he had a clear conscience. I'm reasonably thick-skinned and I wouldn't have done anything differently yet. It has been a difficult time for my wife. I think she's found it very, very hard, yeah. For the Maxwells, who had just sold their farm and were about to retire, having to cull their herd was not such a big deal.
We didn't really want to be reading up about uh, M. Bobus. We wanted to be reading boating magazines. We're, um, we've got a yacht that we hope to sail around the Pacific, and we're yeah. working flat out on that. We're just trying to focus on getting the farm ready for the two neighbours that have bought it and then get on with the rest of our lives, pretty much. But demonstrating just how easily the disease can be spread to all corners of the country, Mr Maxwell said their problem was just a truck ride away from becoming a major headache for another set of farmers in the North Island. Well, it's interesting. The animal that showed up with a nasal swab could have gone to Hawke's Bay on the 1st of April and at that stage we weren't in lockdown we just thought of being responsible because we replaced our interest we wouldn't have sent it but we could have put that problem on a truck and it might have shown up out there I guess. A workaround MPI suggested at the meeting for farmers wanting to know if their neighbours were infected was to look out for the large yellow signs they were required to place at their front gates as soon as they were declared to be an infected property. Mark Zeno, who farms sheep and beef, but also takes other farmers' dairy cows for grazing, said this was not good enough. Well, ultimately, I would expect my neighbour to tell me. You shouldn't expect me to drive around the, the road and see a sign. I mean, or I should be contacted, because at the end of the day, this is a disease that we're trying to eradicate, and if MPI are serious about you know, eradicating it, they need to get some laws changed. This farmer had already taken precautions to protect his stock, including keeping herds separated to prevent any cross-contamination. The dairy industry has become really heavily um, reliant on off-farm grazing, whereas most sheep and beef venison units, we're all internal. So, you know, that in itself is an issue, and, and I, think, I think a lot of dairy herds and dairy farmers will look closely at that and potentially turn their farms into fortresses and possibly do a lot more of their own grazing themselves. Keen to protect his herd of 900 cows from infection, a Colverton dairy farmer, Bill Suckling, had accelerated work he'd already had underway to make his farm a closed system. We just don't do any outside trading. It's definitely going to um, tighten a lot of things up you know, regarding, regarding winter grazing, uh, young stock. People are going to be way more self contained of that sort of thing. You know, with the last few years of low payout, people have sort of, you know, less cows, more contained. Um, but this, I think it's ramped up to another level now with the, with the Mbovis. In Southland, where this outbreak is now believed to have started and then spread from as livestock was shipped around the district and the country, farmers are also feeling nervous. Dairy farmer and spokesperson for the Mbovis Action Group, Bevan Colley, says the constraints placed on MPI are creating uncertainty. They know there are people around them that, that are being tested, but they don't know who or, or where, and in some cases it's right next door. He says until Mbovis is brought under control, those running dairy operations will have to find a new way to farm. The ability of um, dairy farmers to graze off at, at a whim, like just now we can say, right, I'm, I'm, I need to send my heifers away for grazing. At present there'll be some dairy farms which by the time those, those replacements go back into the herd they've probably been on six different farms. And so people that are in that situation will be sitting down saying well hang on, this is a huge risk for my business. Um, so the freedom to do that will be diminished. MPI has been telling farmers it's constrained by the Privacy Act. But the Privacy Commissioner disagrees. 
John Edwards says any decision on naming farmers is guided by the provisions of the Biosecurity Act. In the North Island, the number of infected properties is much smaller, but even there, farmers are now starting to realise the importance of protecting their herds. Long-time Morrinsville dairy farmer Brian Foster says the outbreak has left him wondering if MPI is up to the job. It's a, another nail in the coffin, I suppose. It's something that should never have come into the country. It was allowed into the country at the beginning for whatever reason. So hopefully, yeah, that they have got the ability to, to eradicate it. Uh, the only thing that I do have concern about is do they actually know enough about it and whether they can actually do the job properly. Lloyd Downing has been farming in Waikato for 50 years. If his herd was found to be infected and had to be culled, he doubts he would try to restock and would probably choose to throw in the towel instead. He has real concerns about MPI informing neighbours if a farm is an infected property. Don't start me on that. I mean, yeah, of course I am. I mean, I think we need to know where this is, and unfortunately, um, you know, the guy over in Cambridge put his hand up and said, hey, it's me, good on him, congratulations. And, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. I think there's more to be ashamed of not putting your hand up and saying, hey, it's us. MPI's Jeff Gwynn says the welfare of the farmer with an infected property needs to be kept front of mind when it comes to their privacy. Yeah, look, I can take the farmer's point here, um, but I'll also put a couple of comments around that. Um, we have had scenarios where school children have been bullied on buses by other kids because their parents are under a restricted place. Damien O'Connor says he's aware of farmers' frustrations and is working on coming up with a way to ensure a better flow of information. All laws are interpreted by lawyers um, and they have many, many interpretations. Um, the one that MPI has been working on is, says that, that they are not able to disclose. I'm working with them to try and set up um, a structure that allows farmers to get some assurance um, but doesn't necessarily disclose the individual or cut over the individual privacy provisions. Back in Palmerston, Susan McEwen is still trying to pick up the pieces of her farming career. Having lost everything she'd worked so hard at building up, she still hasn't worked out what her next move will be. With the ongoing uncertainty surrounding Embovis, part of her is glad she's no longer working with cattle. I don't know what they think of it. What do you fellas think of it? The one shining light in her life at the moment is her six-year-old daughter and the pony she's teaching her to ride. It's pretty exciting, I suppose, that side of it, because for six months of the year, for the last... Six years I've spent every working minute feeding calves and looking after calves. And to be able to do this with Olivia at the weekends is, is huge. You don't get these opportunities again. Those still depending on their cows for their income face a nervous wait until the next round of national milk testing for Embovis in the spring. Only then will MPI have a better picture of how far this disease may have spread and how difficult it will be to eradicate it. That programme was written and presented by Conan Young. If you'd like to discover some great listening, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash insight, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, John Gerritsen explores if changes are ahead for the way schools are run, funded, and zoned. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from Insight for today. Thanks for being with us, and join us again next week.